So this morning, I want us to look at Acts chapter one, verses one to three. Very short reading. And I just, I'll be reading from the New International Version. I can't believe that I didn't speak. At the first, I'm speaking at New Life from September, October. And so the, so the forbidding is Jesus taken up into heaven. And Luke, we know, is the writer of the book of Acts. It is the second, it is the part two, really, of it, of, the, of, of, of Luke. And so he writes to Theophilus, who some believe had employed him or hired his service to give him an account of what Jesus did or Jesus' life while he was on earth. And so he wrote it in Acts telling him about what Jesus did and the healing that he did, the miracles. But he continues in Acts and he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Very, very short. And so my question to you this morning, if someone asks you, what is the kingdom of God? Or what is the authority of God? What would your answer be? Or what would be your answer? I'll repeat, if someone asks you, what is the kingdom of God? What, what do you mean about the kingdom of God? What does this phrase, the kingdom of God, mean? Or what does the phrase, the authority of God, mean? What would be your answer? I want you to think on it and I want you to ponder on it because as we go through, I hope that you will be able to identify with the answers I'm giving and so that you will match it with yours and you say, yes, I have it. Or yes, I can add this additional information to it so that my knowledge of what the kingdom of God looks like or is, it is it, wider or broader than I, than I thought initially. And so the title of my message today is the kingdom of God and authority. Acts 1.3 is a text that I use. There are many kingdoms on earth, such as the kingdom of Belgium, which I didn't know before. I knew about the United Kingdom. There's the kingdom of Denmark, and there are so many other kingdoms, but I'll just name a few. A kingdom is the territory over which a king reigns, but in the United Kingdom, it's a, it's a queen who is now reigning. And so we can deduce that as creator of everything, God has ultimate authority over everything he has created. And so the kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal sovereign God over all the universe. So we recognize the kingdom of God is a many kingdoms. But what the kingdom we are speaking today is specifically the kingdom of God. Some kingdoms are physical and temporal, mean that it is earthly, it's not spiritual. But the kingdom of God is spiritual and it is eternal. It lasts forever. It is more as Ruth says, it's not about eating and drinking only. It's about joy, it's about righteousness, it's about peace. It's about the things that are unseen but things that are in your heart, things that only the Spirit can, can give. According to Luke, 
1, verses 31 to 33, the kingdom of God will never end. Remember hearing um, Tashina talking about the everlasting arms of God. The kingdom of God will last forever because we have a God whose arms are everlasting. He, he, he can bear your weight. He can bear all of our weight together. Not only because he can bear our weight, but he himself is everlasting. He is eternal. He's not temporal. He lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. He is the beginning and, and at the same time he's the end and, he's in, and the, he is the in-between. In Psalms 103, verse 9, David says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. So it is showing you that the kingdom of God is not ruling over just the United Kingdom, the European side of Europe. It's not over Denmark only. It's not over Belgium only. But the kingdom of God is over all of what he has created, the universe. The enemy that we fight every day is also a created being. So God's kingdom rules over him. King Nebuchadnezzar declared in Daniel 4 verse 3, the kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Romans 13 1 tells us that every authority that exists has been established by God. So in one sense, the kingdom of God incorporates everything that ever exist from the beginning even the dinosaurs the kingdom of god reign over dinosaurs the enemy and the demons the kingdom of god reigns over them john the baptist began his ministry preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near in matthew 3 verse 2 and then jesus when he began his ministry he began the same way. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near in Matthew 4, 17. But at the end of his message, of his life, where we just looked at, Luke tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, he presented himself to his disciples for four, over 40 days. He gave them convincing proof that he was alive and instructed them through the Holy Spirit. And guess what he did? He spoke to them again about the kingdom of God. I know, I'm not sure if you notice that when I, I, I interchange the words kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. In Matthew, Matthew uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven, while Luke uses the, and Mark uses the kingdom of God. They are, they are synonymous with each other. They mean the same. So if God rules over the universe, why is it necessary to, to announce when Jesus appeared on the scene that the kingdom of God is near. Think about it. We, we established that the, what, the, what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is where God rules. We established that God rules over the entire universe and the world eternally. Why? Because he's the creator. We established that there are other kingdoms and so God is the king of all kingdoms. So we're building on it. So if Jesus comes from the Father, why would it, why was there the necessity or the need to announce that the kingdom is here? I want to take you back all the way to Genesis. That when God made man, Adam and Eve, 
he delegated authority and responsibility to them as his image bearers. And he calls them, and, he, and, he, and, 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 he, and as I said, delegated authority, delegated responsibility, which means the responsibility and the, and the authority was God's. But what he did, he gave responsibility and he gave authority to Adam and Eve. And he gave them the responsibility and the authority for a reason. He says, I want you to accomplish this task of ruling and stewarding over the rest of creation in the same manner he, God, would have. However, when Adam and Eve disobeyed, they forfeited their legal rights and authority. And some people will tell you that they handed it over to Satan. So in, in sinning and in disobeying, they forfeit their legal rights. That is what you and I do when we sin. We give up our legal rights to the enemy. They handed it over to Satan. And, they, and because they did that, what they did, they introduced another authority structure. Remember, prior to Adam and Eve sinning, the only kingdom existed was the kingdom of God. Prior to Adam and Eve sinning, the only authority structure that existed was God's authority structure. It was God who ruled and reigned. And so when they sinned, they gave over the authority. They handed it over to Satan, thereby introducing another structure, another kingdom, and establishing that there was another ruler, the prince of this world, the God, the God of, the, of the kingdom of this age. And the, the ruler's intent was, the Satan, his intent was never, never, remember, his intent was never to strut as God had intended, but to instead exploit, abuse, manipulate, destroy relationship, create chaos. That was what Satan used, the delegated authority that man, God had given to man to do. So God wanted it to strut over the kingdom and to look after creation the way he, God, looks after creation. Satan was invested with a level of authority that gave him legal rights to rule on earth, but not over the earth. Listen to what I just said. He could rule on earth, but not over the earth because the earth was not his kingdom. So although Adam and Eve forfeited their legal right, and it seemed as if Satan is ruling because he, he stole what was theirs, Remember, the king of the kingdom still rules. I'm not going to use ruled because rule going to put him in the past. He still rules. In John, in John 12, 31, John says Satan is the prince of this world. You notice? He's not the king of this world. He's the prince of this world because who is the king of this world? Jesus is the king of this world. Even though he was delegated the authority, his authority was limited and his power was limited. And he maintained it through introduction, as I said. He came with broken system. He came with domination. He came with to, to, to abuse control. And he came with a world system that opposes God and the children of God. 
So ever since Satan stole the authority God gave to mankind, there has been a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. But it is never a total -to battle. Imagine me fighting with an ant. Imagine you fighting with a grasshopper. Imagine you fighting with a lizard, not me, but imagine you fighting with a lizard. Think about, think about the disparity between an ant, a lizard, and you, something that you can just squash. And that is what God is. God can just squash the enemy at any time. But because of, the, because of his sovereignty, he maintains the ultimate authority over his creation, but he will never lose his authority to Satan, even though it may appear that Satan's power structures in operation in cultures and societies are interrupting and trampling the success of the church. God's sovereignty allows him to sanction, to sanction what the enemy comes with. Because even the enemy has to get permission from God. And so God, God will allow the enemy to do things so that you and I will have what we call free will. And people would wonder, but why would a loving God allow an evil enemy just to do so many things against us? The truth is you want your free will. You want to be able to choose what you do. You don't want to be a robot. You don't want to have a God who says, oh, turn right, turn left, do this, eat this, desire this. None of us want that. And because God is sovereign and he knew he had ultimate authority, he will allow you and I to have free will and, and allow you and I to choose him this moment and to choose the enemy this moment. Because the truth is, the only two major kingdoms that are reigning are on earth. is the kingdom of God, which never loses, and the kingdom of the enemy. So it's everything that you do, you are dictating, you are sharing, you are declaring, you are confessing that I belong to one kingdom or the other. You can't belong to the kingdom of God and belong to the kingdom of the enemy. You cannot belong to the kingdom of light and belong to the kingdom of darkness. You cannot desire God and desire Satan at the same time. And though none of us wants to admit that what we're, ad what we're desiring is, is Satan, the truth is if you're not dis desiring God 100%, if you're not obeying him 100%, you're obeying something else. Either that you're driving on the left side or the right side. You can't drive on the broken line. If either you're, you are black or you're white. And many of us say, well, what about the gray areas? The gray areas, is either you're all in or you're all out, but you can't do a mixture of any in between. Some of us who, who love to mix um, iced tea with lemonade, we call it Arnold Palmer. I think that's the name I think I would call it. And we say we love iced tea and we love, we love, uh, we love lemonade. And we mix it and we get the blend and we feel good. In the kingdom of God, you cannot mix the enemy with God because the blend, that blend won't be good any at all because any mixture of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, you are now the kingdom of darkness. The only time the holy touches the unholy and it remains holy, it is when God himself comes into a life and touches it. 
In the, old, in, the, in the Old Testament, you see that the priests and the people were encouraged to stay away from the dead body because once you go near the dead, you are contaminated. And that is what sin does. Sin contaminates. And we can't double in a little of God on a Sunday. On Monday, we are desiring the world and, we, and we're desiring the world Tuesday, but we pray and fast on Wednesday. But Thursday, we are back touching again you are contaminated and once you're contaminated you cannot declare outrightly that i belong to the kingdom of god god progressively recovered and reinstituted the authority satan stole from adam and eve for the people of his kingdom that's you and i the church and through jesus's birth crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. He reinstitutes, he, he, he comes and he progressively gives back the authority that was once given to man. So the question I asked him before, so if, if God is the king of the kingdom, why would Jesus' arrival be announced that the kingdom is here or the kingdom is near or the kingdom is at hand? Why would that there be that need? Jesus' arrival announced that God's appointed Messiah is here. Jesus' arrival announced that Jesus will rule as king over the kingdom of God. Jesus' arrival announced that God was going to recover the kingdom that was stolen from Adam and Eve. He was going to give it back to those who belong, the people of his kingdom, so that they could rule and reign the way he had initially intended it to be. So when Jesus spoke that the kingdom of God was near, many were excited. And when you stop to think in your life, when you read the scripture and it says to you, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is in our midst. There are thoughts that come to your mind and there are expectations that you have. That if the kingdom of God is here, I expect certain things. This morning I had a conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about that when we give our tithe or we give our offering, it's like we give it only because we're expecting God to give back something in return. And that's not the case. When I give my tithe, when I give my offering, I am giving out of an overflow in my heart. And I'm saying, God, I so bless you. I so thank you for just being God. I want to bless you back and to bless your work because God don't need our money. So if, if, if I am sowing in the ministry and I'm sowing in the church because I'm saying, God, I'm sick and I need you to heal me. Or there are some bills that I need you to pay. Motive wrong. The motive is, if out of my abundance of my heart towards my God, I want to sow into the kingdom of God by building, by furthering, by advancing the work that he had already, Jesus began, that Acts 1 told us about. Because the work began, which we notice, but there's no say that the work was finished. It has to be completed. It has to be continued. So there were many expectations. And you too being a part of the kingdom of God, you being an individual of the people of God, you have an expectation of God because you read that the kingdom is here. So if the kingdom is here, 
Why am I sick, God? If the kingdom is here, wh why can't I pay my bills, God? If the kingdom is here, why aren't my loved ones saved, God? If the kingdom is here and you can fill the blanks in, if the kingdom is here, God, why am I still struggling with this sin, God? If the kingdom is here, why don't you give me the thing that I have asked for, God? If the kingdom is here, God, because the kingdom says when the kingdom of God is here ruling, why am I not seeing the fruits manifested in my life, God? There are, there are many who had expectations. Some expected that the kingdom of God was the day God would come to restore Israel as a geographical and political nation. And we see that in John 6, 15 and Acts 1, 6. The Jews thought that the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, he's going to restore Israel to their position of, of power and reign. Others expected that the kingdom of God was the end of this present age when God would create a new world in which evil, demons, sickness, and death would be defeated. However, Jesus had a different view of the kingdom of God than what you and I may have expected, what the Jews expected then and what others are expecting. The kingdom, according to Jesus' standpoint, is in a state of constant readiness for the return of the king. Matthew 25, verse 1. So as the people of the kingdom of God, you and I should be in a place of readiness. Yes, our bills need to be paid. Yes, we need to be healed. But we should be ready for the return of the king of the kingdom. The, to enter into the, king of, the, the kingdom of God, one must first repent. So, so there are basic, basic requirements. So if you're on the, on, the, on the chat now, or if you're listening on Mixolar and you'll be listening on YouTube in the week, you cannot be a part of the kingdom. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you repent and believe the good news of Jesus that he died. He came, the incarnate God came to earth. And he died. He died in your place. He died so that you can be forgiven of your sins. He died so that you can be redeemed, so that you can be re reconciled to the Father. You may be wondering, what does repentance mean? Repentance means to change one's mind. So I have a mindset, and I think that this is what is normal, because this is what the world does, eh? This is what the world does, and all of us know what the world does. The world has sex without of marriage. The world cheat and steal. The world, the world lie, and you may not say I'm not lying, but I will, I will leave out parts of the truth, or I'll embellish it to mean what I, to get what I want to mean. And that's what the world says. The world says that's what is normal in the kingdom of God. That's not normal. And so things like that for you to. to enter into the kingdom of God, you must repent of that mindset by turning away. It's not a 380 degree turn because 380 takes you back in the same direction. It's a 180. So you turn from the north, but you end up going south. You don't turn fully around because if you do a 360, you're going to be going back in the same, one in the same north. Mark 1, 14, verse 15. There is a key to the kingdom of God. 
It is the delegated authority to act on Jesus' behalf. So when God comes and he, and he calls you, and for those of us who repent, and those of us who will repent today, the key to the kingdom says that God now gives you that delegated authority. You are reinstituted to, to represent Christ, to be Christ with flesh on in this world, to represent him, to be, to work, to serve on behalf of Christ, to unlock or to lock, to open or to close the kingdom by introducing the gospel of the world to the world, Matthew 16, verse 19. And that's what we do. When you and I share the good news of Jesus with others, we have literally unlocked the door for them to enter. When we share the good news of Jesus with others, we have literally opened the door, we have flung it wide, and we say, enter in, you have access now. The door to the kingdom can be shut. And we see that many times. We saw that with, with, the, with, the, with the five foolish virgins who never had enough oil. And when the, when the bridegroom came, they were not ready. And the door, the scripture said, and the door was shut. Five wise virgins got in, but five foolish virgins who were not prepared got shut out. The kingdom of God is not of this world. John 18, 36. It's not the physical kingdom, as I mentioned. It's a kingdom, it, 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 it is a spiritual reality and realm more than it is a place. Because it begins in our hearts. The kingdom of God is unshakable, it is unmovable. Hebrew 12, verse 28. So it is, it, is, it is not happening according to, oh, something is happening in, in, in the world and God gets, God starts to get anxious. No, God remains the same today, whether there's the tornado, he remains the same tomorrow if there's a tsunami, he remains the same if there's a hurricane, because God rules over the kingdom and everything that he creates bows in submission to him. The kingdom of God, as Ruth mentioned this morning, is righteousness, it is peace, and it is joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 14 verse 17. The kingdom of God is living in God's power. And what God's power is, I heard Tashina this morning standing in her authority as a, a child of the belonging to the kingdom of God. And that is one of the things God gives us authority. The delegated authority is for us to stand against the schemes of the enemy. To stand in things that opposes the work of God. To stand against the enemy when he comes to, to, to go after our families or to go after us. We stand knowing that we have the, the bucketive. I didn't even know that bucketive wasn't a, 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 a word. <laughs> To that Jamaican word. I went, I, I was spelling it, and I just realized Google just keep um, telling me that my word is wrong. But my, my, my autocorrect keeps saying red. No, I'm saying this, I, I use this word so many times, bucketive. What is a Jamaican word? It's not a word in the dictionary. You know what's one of the hardest parts I read in the scripture? We must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom. Acts 14, 22. 
So the kingdom, entering into this kingdom of God is not as easy as we want it to make. It, it is not something that you just get up and, and do. It is first an invitation of the Holy Spirit to, it constantly invites us to come. And when we surrender, we now become the enemy of the other kingdom. So becoming the kingdom of God, you now become enemy of the Satan. And he now comes against you with all the force that he has. But as I said before, his kingdom can never reign. His kingdom can never match God's kingdom. It is like me going out to fight an ant. That is what the disparity looks like. It's a, it's, it's, it's a king with a capital K fighting a king with a common K. The kingdom of God is inherited by the poor who are rich in faith. Notice what they are? Rich in faith. Poor, you know. Because when you think about the poor man, when we, when we think about the, the, the poor man, the poor man is believing God. He says, God, the dinner I eat today is going to be provided by you. The breakfast I eat tomorrow is provided by you. The food, the clothes that I wear is provided by you. And so he's rich in faith because he's trusting the one who he knows is the king of the kingdom. James 2 verse 5. In the kingdom, it is the father who qualifies individuals to share in the inheritance. It is he who dictates. It is he who says this is a qualification. It is he who selects us because he understands our hearts. Whereas Ruth said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart of man. And he says, you qualify, you disqualify, because I can see your heart. Not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Matthew 7 gives us a good example. The man said, but Lord, didn't I? Didn't I? Didn't I? And God said, depart from me, I know you're not. Didn't I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do this in your name, God? And God said, because I know your heart, because the kingdom is not physical, where you are going to this building every day. The kingdom is spiritual, and I can read your heart because I am the king of the spiritual. I can see that even though you are doing X, your motive is wrong, and your intent is wrong. And so you disqualify from in inheriting the, the kingdom. Colossians 1, 12 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Matthew 7, 21, as I said to you before, not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord. Only those who obey. Only those who obey the will of the Father in heaven. Not those who obey today and disobey tomorrow. Not those who said, okay, Father, today is Sunday, I'm on my best behavior. But for the rest of the week, I'm going to do it my, own, my way. Frank Sinatra, I'm going to do things my way. No. To enter the kingdom of God, one must do it God's way. The stipulation, when we go to a job, you get a job, a, a, a job description, and it says, these are the requirements you must meet. These are the things that we expect for you. You must be at work at 8.15. You must balance the bank account every month. You must write new procedures, whatever. You know what your job description looks like for your jobs. 
And what they do say, if you do, and, and then they will dare to say, and any other thing as per the, per the company's request. That means they're saying there is no limit. No, we can ask you to do anything. In the kingdom of God, God says, I have the requirements. I have the job description. And one of them is that you must obey me. You must obey my will. You must do things the way I do it. The kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3 tells us the impoverished spirit, those who are impoverished spiritually, those who recognize that God without you, really God, without you, God, I really can't, I, I add nothing, I bring nothing of value to you, God. Every value, every worth that I have and I, I am is because I receive it from you. And they recognize their need for God. The kingdom belongs to those who are persecuted for righteousness. Matthew 5, verse 10. And so you and I don't like me to be persecuted. We don't want our neighbors. We don't want our work co-workers. We don't want our family members. We want nobody to persecute us. Actually, the truth is all of us want to be loved and to be in a relationship that is good and we're happy and there's no event, no incident, everything that's going according to our plans. But the kingdom belongs not to those who are loved by the world. Because the world did not love Christ. Christ in, in John 16, Jesus said, they, they will hate you because they hate me first. And so if you find that the world is loving you, check it. Something is wrong. You are worldly. If you find that you are lying in bed with the world and the world is happy about you being in bed with them, check it. Something is wrong with you. You're not obeying the rules of the kingdom. Those who belong to the kingdom are like children. Matthew 19, 44. You realize our child can bounce back quickly? You realize our, our young child can be forgiven? I'm not talking about as they get older and learn to, to be malicious. I'm talking about you, a two-year-old, you take away something and may cry and throw themselves on the ground. But check them the next hour. They are back in your arms again. Jesus says you have to be like that to, to inherit the kingdom. Then he says the greatest in the kingdom is the individual who humbles himself. And to humble oneself is to be deliberate, to say, God, I choose to lower myself so that I can, I can exalt others. It's not about belittling yourself. That's not humility. Humility is what Jesus did in Philippians 2 when he humbled himself and he came. Imagine God coming to earth to live in flesh. Coming where his body can get tired. Coming where he needs a bathroom break. Coming where he needs to take a shower. Coming where he's he going to get hungry and he's going to get hot and he's going to get cold. That is humility. Imagine choosing one day to say, I want to go and live like a grasshopper. Or I want to go and live like a, like, like a roach. That's humility. Choosing to, to lower oneself so that somebody else can be exalted. So the greatest in the kingdom is one who humbles himself or herself like a child. So God is saying, look at what I want you to do. Like that. Now that's humbly to your standard. But like a child, that child who, who forgets 
the wrong done to that child, but runs to the father's arm. The child, that child who knows that everything I need, I need to run to my father. Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, I'm thirsty. Daddy, I need something to wear. Daddy, I need a new pair of shoes. Daddy, I would love some pizza. Daddy, I need Kentucky. Daddy. And looking to that father with the trusting faith and acceptance. Do you think a child who's living in a normal setting with loving parents gets up and wonder, wonder if we'll have meals today? They expect that there'll be meals. And that is what Christ is calling us to live. He says, those who in the, great, the greatest in the kingdom are those who humble themselves like a child and look to God with trusting faith and acceptance. Not look to yourself, not look to someone else, but look to God. And as you look to God and as I look to God, he opens the door and he brings the blessing to whomever he wants to bring it. The greatest in the kingdom is the individual who obeys God's laws and teaches others to obey it. But as we have the greatest, we also have the least. The least in the kingdom of God is the one who disobeys or ignores God's commands and teaches others to ignore it as well. Matthew 5, 19. The kingdom must be pursued at all costs. Matthew 6, 33 says, seek ye first, not second, not third, not when you come to the end of your rope and you do not know what to do, but seek ye first. The first thing, pursue the kingdom of God at all costs first. Not when you have tried, when you've done all you can. No, no. When you have done nothing but seek him, seek him first. Not your abilities, not your strength, not your resources, not your friends, but the kingdom of God first. Trust him. Trust God's righteousness and leave it to him to take care of the basic needs of our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all, all, all the things that you and I need, he will add. And the truth is many of the things we don't have because we have not sought him. We have been spending the time to seek our own ways. Of finding ways and plans and schemes. And we use our brains at night and in early morning to think. But we never stop to say, Father, like a child. I am in need of food. Like a child, Father, I am in need of clothes. Like a child, Father, I want to run into your arms and be hugged. So we go seeking hugging on our own. We go seeking things on our own. The kingdom is subjected to violence. Just like I said, hardship, persecution. The kingdom is subjected to violence. And violent people are attacking it. Matthew 11, verse 12. God, Jesus says, they will hate you. In this world, you will have many troubles. In this world, you'll have many affliction. In this world, you will have many hardship. In this world, there will be trials. In this world, there will be fill in the blanks. Because 
violent people are attacking Matthew 11 verse 12. The secrets of the kingdom have been given to the disciples of Jesus. The, the kingdom has secrets. But only those who listen to the teaching of Jesus will be given more understanding. Ruth spoke this morning from, from Isaiah 11, where she spoke about the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of might and the spirit of counsel and understanding. All of us need wisdom. All of us need understanding. All of us need all of those. But the, only those who will have to get the secret of the kingdom are those who listen to the teaching of Jesus. And when they listen, they will get more understanding. They'll get an abundance of knowledge. But those who are not listening, even the little understanding that they have, Matthew 13, 11 says it will be taken away from them. The kingdom will be purged of those who do not produce. Matthew 21, verse 30, 41. Not only will the, the kingdom be purged, but God will give the fruit to those who obey. Matthew 13, 19 tells us that as soon as someone hears the message about the kingdom, but does not understand it, the enemy comes and snatches it away from his or her own heart. So even as I'm speaking, you are listening. And if, if you don't spend the time to pursue the righteousness of Christ and to pursue the kingdom of God, the word that you heard from the beginning when Ruth opened her, opened her mouth to the last word you'll hear today can be snatched away as if you never heard it. Because the enemy of your soul comes to snatch it away. And even now as I'm speaking, some words are being snatched away because you're becoming distracted and thoughts are coming to your mind and things that are urgent are coming to your mind so that you do not hear. That's the enemy coming to steal that which God wants to plant in your heart to bring forth fruit and harvest upon harvest, understanding and wisdom and knowledge and everything that you may need. In this side of life. Matthew 13, 31 likens the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. Though it is tiny, it is going to grow enormously. Matthew 13, 33 likens it to the yeast in the bread. It says, though it is unnoticeable, because when you sprinkle the yeast or the baking powder or the baking soda into the flour, you don't stop to see it, to identify it different from the flour. You mix it in and you can't separate it. And though it is an unnoticeable force, what it does, it permeates that entire flour. So it is the kingdom of God. It is an unnoticeable force that is amongst us today. But it begins in the heart of the followers of Jesus, but then it permeates. So as you become closer to the Lord, as you experience the goodness of God, you want to tell your neighbor. 
you want to tell the person in your office. You want to tell them in the supermarket. You want to go to the next town. You want to go to the next country to share the good news. Because it's a force that can never be contained. You can't put the baking soda or the baking powder in the flour. And this after mixing up, you say, no, no, I want to contain it to the side of the flour. No, it is going to spread. He likens it in Matthew 13, 44 to a discovered treasure. That the man is searching for a treasure. And when he found it, he sold everything that he had of value to buy that one treasure. Because to him, the treasure is valuable and it is worth more than he could ever own. And that is what the kingdom of God is. It is more, it is, it is worth more to you and I than anything you could ever own. And so you may stop to think that if I could only have a million dollars right now, if I could only get a new car, if I could get a new house, if I could get some more clothes, if I could get some food, and God is saying to you, no, no, my child, what I have given you is more valuable to you than everything that you could use that is material, that is physical. Because what he's offering to us is eternal. It lasts forever. It is unshakable. It is unmovable. It cannot be quenched. In Matthew 13, 47, he likened this to a fishing net. The fisherman goes out in the boat and he throws it. He casts his net into the ocean or in the lake. And then he pulls it in. But when he pulls it in, he's going to get good fish, bad fish. He's going to get pick up things, but he sits down. And he removed, he separates the good from the bad. And he throws away that which is bad. But he keeps that which is good. And that is what the kingdom of God is. God comes and he throws his net out. And he reaps in a harvest. He reaps in and he says he sits down because he has the time and he separates. He separates what is good because he sees the heart. He knows the intent. He knows the motive and he sits and he separates. And he said, that one is for me. That one is not for me. And he piles what is not for him together and he throws it away. God has cast his net and you and I are in the net. Will we be found as the good or the bad that needs to be thrown or to be gathered and kept? The kingdom will never end. Luke 1, 33, it's an everlasting kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. It's a kingdom that will go on and on and on and on. And you can put all the ons on. It's a kingdom that we, it, nobody will determine when it ends because it, it, God says it is eternal. The kingdom of God is experienced now. But it is also a future inheritance that God gives to his people. So you hear the term, it is no and, and not yet. The kingdom of God is no, but it is not yet. Because it is no, because Jesus could say that we are seated in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 2. So it is already, but not yet. But you and I are living it out. 
because it's a future inheritance that when we, 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 we live through, and I don't know if you watch the movie, Back to the Future. That movie, every time I think about the kingdom being already, but not yet, I think about that. Going back to the future. The future is already set. And, and, and he goes back through the time machine to go back in the past to see if he can fix the things in the past to make his future different. You and I won't have that opportunity, but we can do that now. You and I can set our future now by the way we live, by the things we do, by the things we do not do. So what is God saying to you about the kingdom? The church has the advantage by nature of who we belong to, to rule as God had intended. But we must step up. We must step forward to reclaim the authority as kingdom people through relationship and identity in Christ. We must claim, we must claim authority through our faith in Jesus Christ. We must claim authority through our relationship and identity in Christ. And for, for those of us who are our parents, who are mothers, our fathers, think about the identity that your child has because you spent the time to let them know that you belong to me. I love you. All that I have is yours. And so that child now believes in the parent. And Jesus is saying to us, it's the same way. We have to step up. We have to reclaim, because remember, that our delegated authority was once stolen from us. And for us to get it back, for us to reclaim it, for us to, re to get it back to the, to the way that God had intended, we cannot live the way we, can't, we, we are living. Each day we have to grow in our faith in Christ. Each day we have to recognize who we are, who we belong to, and our relationship with Christ will dictate what we do. It is God's intent for the people of God. It is God's intent for the people of the kingdom of God. It is God's intent for the church to work alongside each other to accomplish God's mission on earth over the rest of creation. And so are the people of the kingdom of God. Let us stand in the delegated authority given to us. Let us reclaim that which is ours, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones, for our neighbors, for our communities, for, for our country, for our church, for the world. Let us step up. Let us stand up. I remember a couple of weeks ago, Tashina spoke, will the church of Jesus stand up? It is in standing up that we reclaim. It is in standing up that we reclaim that which is ours. We reclaim. The, manipulate, the way the enemy had manipulated us and the mindset that he had allowed us to have. We reclaim that which is ours and take back from the enemy the chaos and the broken relationship that many of us have found ourselves in. Divorce was never the intent of God, but many of us are divorced. Being single was never the intent of God because he said it was not good for man to be alone. And when the enemy came in, 
that brought in separation, broken marriages, broken relationships. Men prefer to live single, women prefer to live single. It was never God's intention. Men want to have many wives. Women want to have many husbands. It was never God's intent. And so you and I have to step up. You and I have to stand up. You and I have to move from where we are, move and change position from where we are, not only physically, but spiritually, to claim that which is ours, to take back that which the enemy stole from us, our health. Because the truth is, some of the things that we are going through was, it was never God's intent. And he only allows it because he's saying, will the, the, the church of Christ step up? Sickness was never God's intent. Sickness came because sin came to the world and, and the world became broken. And God said, man cannot continue to live in that body for, for eternal, for, for eternity. And so he put a cap, he says, 120 years maximum because sin will increase and increase and increase and man will grow cold and wicked and wicked and wicked and more wicked. But God is saying to you and I today, the financial problem that you have find yourself in, maybe you need to step up and reclaim the authority. Maybe the sickness that you find in your body, you need to step up and reclaim the authority that God has given you or delegated to you. Maybe this, this, the broken system that you find yourself living in, God is saying to you, maybe you need to step up. Because as I said to you before, God is so sovereign that he allows you the free will. He allows you to remain sick if you choose to remain sick. He allows you to remain poor if you want to remain poor. But I'm mindful that because the world is broken, many of us are going to be sick because of the brokenness of the world. But some of the sicknesses that we are undergoing is not the brokenness of the world. It is the enemy of our soul who manipulates, who comes with chaos, who comes to afflict us. Is it afflicting us? Many of us are, un are unable to pay our bills, not because of the broken systems in the world, but because the enemy of our soul is robbing us. And God is saying that you need to step up and reclaim because I have given you the authority. And again, he's sovereign. If you're comfortable being poor, he's also comfortable with you being poor. If, he's, if you're comfortable being broken, he's comfortable with you being broken. But he said, I have given you everything you need for godliness and for life. I have given you everything you need for life and for godliness. I have given you everything you need will you step up to reclaim that which is yours will you step up stepping up stepping up will look different for each one of us stepping up may mean that i need to repent of my sins i need first and foremost to become a part of the kingdom i need to become a member of the kingdom of god so i need to repent I need to believe in Jesus. I need to obey the will of the Father. Stepping up may mean different things. It means that I just maybe need to humble myself like a child and trust God and accept him. Stepping up may mean that I need to become poor in spirit. I need to recognize that without God, I am nothing. 
stepping up may mean that I need to understand what the kingdom represents, that the kingdom is God's power. And living in God's power is what he has called the people of the kingdom to do. Stepping up may mean that I need to recognize that I have the power to unlock and to lock the door to the kingdom by sharing the gospel or not sharing the gospel to the world. Stepping up may mean that I live in a state of constant readiness for the return of the king. And so all of us will know what stepping up may look like for us. But today, will you step up? Will you step up and reclaim that which God has in store for you? Will you step up and, re and reclaim? You know, the word reclaim, not claim. Reclaim, it means that it was given to you before, but you lost it and God is saying, I have it for you again. I'm giving it to you. Will you reclaim it? Will you take it? Will you, will you take it by force? Because the kingdom of God is suffering violence. Because violent people are attacking it. Will you stand up and take it, not only for yourself, but for your children, for your nephews, for your nieces, for your sisters, for your brothers, for your parents, for your friends, for your neighbors, for the world. Will you step up? And so today, I just want you to, 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 to write where you're seated. Stop and say to the Lord, Lord, I need to enter the kingdom and I know that you have the keys and I'm shut out, but I want to enter. I enter by repenting. And if that's your, that's your standing up today, I want you to raise your hands and say, I need to step up today by repenting of my sins. I need to step up today by acknowledging that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I need to step up today. And it's stepping up me that you need to obey the will of the Father. You need to turn your back on sin. You need to, to hate sin. You need to obey him. Raise your hands. Because I want us to be praying for each other. I want us right where we are to be praying. Be praying, be praying for each other. Will the church of Jesus stand up? Tamar, will you stand up? Dane, will you stand up? Anne, will you stand up? Karen, will you stand up? Tashina, will you stand up? Ruth, will you stand up? Rifa, will you stand up? Winsome, will you stand up? Larry, will you stand up? Wade and Ernest, will you stand up? Come, will you stand up today? Will you stand up and reclaim that which God has given to you? That the enemy has stolen and Jesus came and recovered? So, Father, it's our heart desire, Father, to reclaim that which is ours. God, I thank you that there is a provision that no matter where we find ourselves, there is a provision in place for us to reclaim that which is ours. Thank you, God, that Lord, you didn't just tell us to reclaim it. You didn't give us an idea of how to do it. You gave us instructions how you say obey the will of the Father. You gave us instructions how, God, you said, live like a child. You gave us instructions how, you said, be poor. You said, obey, obey. 
And Father, today we come before you. And we stand today. We stand, we stand recognizing that authority is not about fighting physically. Authority is knowing who I am in Christ, is knowing who I belong to. It is having faith in Jesus that when I pray, I believe by faith that my relationship with him guarantees me access to him. And even if God, you do not answer the way I want to answer, I believe by faith that, Father, you have something that is best for me. You have a better plan. Father, for the women on the line who are, who are without husbands, because the enemy came and he stole that which you gave them. Lord, may they stand in their authority today and reclaim. For those of women who are single and men who are single and it is their desire to, to, to have a husband or a wife, may they stand in their authority and claim. For those of us with children or grandchildren who are unsaved, may we stand in our authority today and claim them, God, for you. And so, Father, I thank you today. For those of us who don't know you. For those of us who have yet to say yes to you. For those of us, Father God, who have done things our way and are still desiring of doing things our way, God, may we reclaim that which is ours today, Father. So we can fellowship, so that we can enter in and hear you say, welcome, thou good and faithful servant. So, Father, we give you all the praise and all the thanks. We give you all thanks and adoration today, Father. And we give you all glory, God. All glory belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.